Well, good morning, church family, and it is so good for us to be gathered together in worship here today, and uh, I want to say it's good to see you this morning, and I have missed you so very much, and I'm glad to see you. It's good to be in the Lord's house with one another this morning, isn't it? Amen. For those of us, those of you who are joining us online streaming this morning, we are so happy and grateful for you as well. We're so glad that we have had streaming services in the last several uh, weeks, and uh, that's a new endeavor for our church, and we've learned a lot about it. We're glad that we have the capability now to do it in the auditorium, and so we want to welcome you this morning. I'm glad that you're here with us today. I hope that those who are here in the room today uh, that you picked up a Lord's Supper a cup and when you came in. And if you did not receive one of these uh, on the way in today and want to take the Lord's Supper with us uh, later in the service, if you didn't get one, if you raise your hand, our deacon will be glad to bring one to you, all right? And so then, great. Then those online, uh, please, if you'll prepare at home, we'll have the Lord's Supper toward the conclusion of the message today. And so uh, you can prepare the elements there at home. This morning, we are, we are in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter number four. So if you have your Bible, I hope you've enjoyed this study in Philippians as we've walked through it over the course of the last several weeks. And so we're in chapter number four. We come to the application part of this great treasure of a book that's given us to us by the Holy Spirit at the pen of the Apostle Paul and uh, for our instruction. We're in chapter number four, just reminding you that this, this uh, great book was written in a, from a Roman prison cell. He's writing it to the church that he dearly loves, that Paul helped to plant, with, along with Silas and Timothy and Dr. Luke, as they made their way uh, from Asia Minor over into Europe and is, uh, to the Macedonia, to the city of Philippi, and so that's where the word Philippians comes from, Philippi. And uh, he uh, is writing to them. He, there's a dear, loving, uh, familial relationship that Paul has with this wonderful church. They've sent gifts at the hands of Epaphroditus. They've blessed Paul while he's in Rome. He's writing them a thank you letter and giving them, uh, encouraging them. The letter's just filled with warmth and love and affection for them. And he's teaching them about, uh, uh, about all that the Lord has done for them and encouraging them and then also instructing them and admonishing them as well. So in this passage that we're going to look at today in chapter number four, beginning verse two, I've titled the sermon today, Fighting for Relationships. And that's indeed what Paul addresses. So if you look with me to chapter four, verse number two, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Paul is addressing the importance of relationships. And all 
of life is really about relationships. And uh, uh, all of the scripture is about relationships. It's about our relationships with one another. The Bible, talk, it's, it's about relationship. As you look at the Bible, it's about the relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's relationship with his creation, how he brings it into existence. God's creation of mankind for relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. How, how mankind's relationships with one another and with God was broken because of sin. And it caused a devastating effect in all of creation. And God in his sovereignty and great love is working to restore a relationship so man could be made right with God and walk with him in a right relationship, and that man can be restored in right relationship with one another. When Jesus is asked what to summarize, what the Old Testament is all about, he said it's found in the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this, on this hang all the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament is about loving God with all your heart and loving one another. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he said, the law and the prophets is this. That's, that, that is what the Old Testament scriptures all about. So Paul, often in his letters, begins with teaching us about doctrine and our relationship to a right relationship with God, but then he moves from theology to ethics. How do you live out this faith that we believe? So the first part of Paul's books usually are what you believe, the second on how you should behave. How do you live? And you can't separate the two. You can't have ethics not based in good theology. You need to have a right relationship with God, and that helps you know how to have a right relationship with one another. Amen? Because our faith works, as James said. It's the royal law of love. And so your life matters to God. Your faith matters to God. How you behave matters to God. And how you act matters to God. And how we relate to one another matters to God. So what does our faith really mean to us? And so Paul is now in this passage saying, let's fight for the relationships that we have for one, with one another because we're in this new relationship with the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I urge you, Euodia and Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. The very first point is this, practice reconciliation. If we're going to fight for relationships, that means that we must practice reconciliation. When there's a brokenness, when there's a division, when there's something that's come between us, fight for the relationship. Don't throw it away. So notice the urgency. It's a very personal appeal. I urge Yodia. I urge Sintiki. These are two women. And these are their names. And he says, I'm begging you. I'm entreating you. I'm urging you, sisters. And he calls them by name to live in harmony in the Lord, to be of the same mind, to get together and fix this relational problem that you have. Now, 
Epaphroditus brings this letter back. Just imagine what this scene is like. Epaphroditus brings this letter back from the Apostle Paul in Rome, travels hundreds of miles, gathers the church, and says, I can't wait to read you a letter from Paul. The whole church family gets together because they get to hear from the Apostle Paul that they dearly love, and they're reading the letter to them, and it's a letter and a sermon all mixed together. The whole church is there. Can't wait to hear it. And right in the middle of the church service, he comes toward the end, and he says, Now, I urge you two sisters, and he names them by name. They're sitting in church together to get along with each other. Do you think that might have been a little bit uncomfortable? This has been the course of history and pastoring that I certainly could have done that with some people. And he says, get together, agree, I urge you. It's a personal appeal. It was a, this, this urgent admonition to agree in the Lord, live in harmony. The word that he used here, it says, be of the same mind, literally. And be of the same mind. It's the very same word that's found in chapter number two, if you look with me. <clears throat> in verse number two. Make my joy complete. I think Paul was thinking about this when he wrote chapter 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Listen, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, agree in the Lord. Listen, sisters, you're in the Lord, and you're in relationship because you both have Jesus as your Savior, and you are in him. And you have labored with me in the cause of the gospel, struggled with me, and Clement and others. We're in the Lord So be reconciled with one another. Jesus fought for you that you would be reconciled with God. Now you fight to be reconciled with one another. You can't get past this teaching. The teaching is this. If we're going to preach reconciliation, we need to practice reconciliation. That'd be a good place to say amen behind the mask. Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, listen to what Paul reminds us about this ministry and this message that God has given us. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If we refuse to be reconciled with one another, it undermines the very message that we're preaching Because if we're preaching that Jesus Christ came so that we might be made right and could be reconciled and sin overcome, and then we refuse to be reconciled one to another, then the world watching says, 
there's something wrong in that message. Amen. Jesus taught us to fight for the relationships. The relationships are right, important, and relationships matter. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus begins the exposition of Old Testament law and, the ten, uh, the, and, and dealing with that, he notice uh, the very first one he takes on, he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. And those, anyone who commits murder is guilty before the court. But Jesus said, but I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother is guilty before the court. And whoever says to your brother, you uh, to a brother, Reka, empty head, is guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, is guilty of hell's fire. Therefore, when you're presenting your offering before the altar, listen, you're presenting your offering before the altar, your act of worship. And then remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering at the altar. Go. First, be reconciled with your brother. Then come and bring your offering to the Lord. He says, I don't want your empty worship if you're not working on the relationship. Relationship's important, and it matters. The second point is not only practice reconciliation, but promote unity. This is a word for the whole church, and it's a word for us to do today. Verse 3, indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, true companion, who is this? We don't know. We don't know who he is. He calls him yoke fellow or companion or partner. He was a leader in the church at Philippi. And he says, I want you to help these women. The word help means grab a hold of them and help them. Roll up your sleeves and get involved with them. Because conflict is always a result of sin and separation. And generally in the congregation, when there's conflict in family, it's because of our sin, because of the deception of sin, the destruction of sin, the selfishness of sin. James says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts? James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Verse 2, you lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. We want what we want, the way we want it to be. And he says this is the destructive nature of sin. Jesus prayed about this very issue in John chapter 17. Listen to the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying to the heavenly father for us. He knows that we're going to have issues like this. Listen to what Jesus prays. I'm no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. Verse 11. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name that you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Hmm. Notice what he says in verse number 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Notice how many times he says they may be one. Even as your father, as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Wow. He's praying that we'll be one and we'll be united. The issue is sin. And Jesus is praying for us. And so we need to work for unity in the life of a church. Now, when, when there's division in the church and disagreement between two strong personalities and people that are loved in the church and who have faithfully served, and all of a sudden Paul knows this can bring a real problem in the church, and it brings division. And people often don't fight to fix it. Instead, they sort of pour gas on it. And instead of helping people, you know what they do? They gossip about the situation or they take sides one against the other or they 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 exaggerate the situation or they talk about it. He says, no, I want you to get involved, roll up your sleeves and help them in this issue. Often the issues inside of us, isn't it? Are you all with me this morning? Listen close Isn't this. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks, in our relationships. And so it robs us, it, it, it hurts us when there's division. Now, does anybody ever rub you wrong in this life? I'm not the only one, am I? Does somebody irritate you, just frustrate you, you know, rubs up against you and you just feel grouchy? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, usually the issue that one of the things I know is God puts difficult people in your life to some usually to expose sin in my own life. And I need to learn from that. Secondly, sometimes the things that gets me most irritated about that person is the thing that's wrong inside of me. For instance, complaining people make me grouchy. So I encounter a couple of complaining people, and I spend the afternoon complaining about complaining people. You know what I'm talking about? Or prideful people. Well, they're just so prideful. Well, hello? Or judgmental. Don't you just hate judgmental people? <laughs> see, I'm doing it right there. You're judging judgmental people. You see, it's a log in the eye kind of deal. And often the thing, competitive people. Well, I'm competitive. And so it's that controlling people. I'm that controlling. It's, it's, it's my own issue. But here he says, I want you to work toward the resolution. That means value these sisters. Value the relationship. They were co-laborers. They were partners in the struggle for the gospel along with Clement. And then he says, their names are written in the book of life. These sisters, are their names are written in heaven. They're your sisters. I want you to roll up your sleeves and help these girls work it out because they're valuable to heaven and they're valuable to the church. They're valuable individually and they're valuable in their relationship that makes the church better and stronger when we work together and in unity. But the problem is we don't want to get involved, and that's what we do. Often we put our head in the sand. We ignore the problems. We hope they'll go away, but they don't usually go away. 
they usually just fester and get infected, or they might scab over, and then they get knocked off later, and we're back to the same issue. And sometimes when you want to help somebody and really help them and get involved, then it means that sometimes it hurts. And sometimes really helping hurts because you examine the wound, you open the wound, you look at the wound. Sometimes you've got to scrub the wound and put antiseptic on the wound and talk about this wound. But that's when we can get well because we're dealing with it. You confront it, you pray about it, you love, the, you love them, and you work for restoration. This is the work of the church, too. But listen, my friends. Listen. Don't run away. If you're in a struggle, the worst thing you can do is just run away and burn the relationship, and I'm never going back. I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore. I'm just going to run away. And you know what you do? You'll end up with a series of broken relationships where you just ran away rather than deal with the issue. And you can blame them and play the victim card if you want, but as long as you play the victim card, you will never mature and you'll never grow and you'll never change. You gotta deal with the issues that are in it for you. Amen? Amen. Emerson said you can circle the globe trying to escape sin and conflict until you realize that everywhere you go, the conflict's there because the hell is inside of you. Wow. Number three, you say, Pastor, can we move to another point? Yes. He says, I urge Yoda and Sintiki to live in harmony. He says, help them, true companion. And then he moves on to verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, you know what needs to fill your mouth is rejoicing in the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord always. I, again, I say, you, you know what? God has made you for joy and for rejoicing and celebrating the goodness that God has done. And there's nothing like creating unity when a church is gathered together and together in Christ, worshiping God in the Holy Spirit, around the Word of God and around the work of God, thinking on the goodness and greatness and glory of God and what he's done for us. It is a thing that encourages us and helps us to feel closer with one another. Amen? You say, Brother Tim, how do I have joy? It's in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again, he says a double emphasis. Rejoice in the Lord. First of all, the joy is inside of you. John 17, 13 says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak to you in in the world so that you may have joy made full in themselves. John 15, 11 says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. What things? To abide, to keep his commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And he says, When you do that, then you'll have joy real joy from me that is made full in your life. You could translate this passage, never lose your joy. I say again, never lose your joy. Now listen close. Joy has been given to you by the Lord. It's in your heart. Secondly, joy is in your mouth. Now 
You can use your mouth to be critical and negative and grumble and dispute, or you can use your mouth to celebrate in joy. Amen? And joy is found in the relationships that we share as we live with the Lord. In chapter number 2, verse number 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I'll have reason to glory because I did not toil in vain, did not run in vain or toil in vain, But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, listen, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Notice he says, I'm serving you. I'm laying down my life for you. I'm loving you. I'm caring for you. I'm pastoring and shepherding you. And he says, I'm rejoicing in that, and I'm sharing my joy with you, and you're serving the Lord, and you are praising the Lord, and you're living for the Lord, and you're sharing your joy with me, and we're celebrating in the joy of the Lord and our joy with one another. Folks, there's something that happens in corporate worship when we're gathered together in the name of the Lord that can't happen behind a computer screen. And that's what we're enjoying today. And some of you at home are still there. And I know you're rejoicing where you are, but it won't it be sweet when we can worship all together in the Lord. Amen. Then next he says, demonstrate your graciousness. He said, let your reasonableness be known to all men, your graciousness known to all men, your gentle spirit known to all men. The King James says, your moderation known to all men. Literally, it means your forbearance, known to all. It's here is the idea of graciousness, not harshness. Don't live harshly. Don't let harshness. Folks, in the midst of this political world and a world of sin, it's so easy to let harshness come out of our mouth and criticism and hatefulness. We don't need harshness We don't need judgmentalism. He says, don't let your judgmentalism be. He's not saying let your judgmentalism be known to all. No, your graciousness known to all. Not your arrogance known to all. Not your self-serving known to all. Not your self-importance known to all. Not your impatience known to all. But your graciousness known to all. Give grace. Show grace. Be gracious. Let me tell you what's hypocritical. This is what's hypocritical. When you come before the Lord and you're praying, are you asking for grace in your life? Mercy? God's favor and kindness? Yes. Or do you pray and say, God, give me your justice. Give me what I deserve. (laughs) Most of us say, no, God, I, I am asking for your grace. Now, let me tell you what's hypocritical. We come with him open hands and say, God, I need your grace. But we turn to our brothers with closed fists and give them harshness. My friends, what we're asking of the Lord, let's give to others. Let's give grace from the Lord. Amen? Amen.
And that's how you fight for relationships. Finally, rest in the Lord's return. He is coming again. How many of y'all believe Jesus Christ is coming again? He is coming again. He said the Lord is near. Actually, he says, literally, he says the Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's not just with us. With us. He is with us always, but he's near us. He's near in his coming again. James says it this way. The judge is at the door. Let me tell you some good news. Here's the good news. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again very, very soon. And when he comes, he'll set this world in order. And when he comes, he'll judge according to truth and righteousness. And he comes, he'll, you are not the judge and referee of this world. That's the Lord Jesus himself. And his judgment is always true. And when the Lord comes, he's a rewarder to those who've been faithful to him. And he knows he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my master when he comes again. We will be saved, and we will be like him forever and ever and ever, and it will be awesome. The Lord is near. Some people say, oh, you know what? She is so heavenly-minded, she's no earthly good. You've heard that. That's just wrong. My experience is those that are most heavenly-minded are the most earthly good. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's coming again. Amen. The other two or three weeks ago, we went to see the grandkids in Kansas City. And, well, we went to see my son, too, but it really is the grandkids. And um, uh, Christy, I was driving, and Christy texted Andy. He said, let me know when you get close. So we were pulling off the main road to the, their subdivision. And as we were going down the road, uh, we turned and headed back down the lane to where their house is in a subdivision in Cincinnati. And as we were coming down the street, we could see Andy out there and three of the three, our three little grandkids, and they were all just bouncing around, couldn't wait for us to get there. And I was driving Christy's car, and as we were going down the road, I see Claire, she's the three-year-old, full of life. She thinks she's in charge of everything. And she just jumped off that porch with her blonde curly hair and took off running down the hill from their house, and she ran right out in the street where I was at, and I was still driving the car. I hadn't pulled in the driveway yet, and I rode down the window. She said, pop, pop, pop. She was wanting to pull me in the, she wanted me to pull her into the window, and she, I pulled the car, stopped. She hugged my neck, held on to me, the biggest hug, and she stared at me with those beautiful eyes and big dimples, and she said, Papa, I thought you would never get here. Well, I just melted right there. And I was thinking about this. The Lord is near. And I want to be like Claire toward Jesus. And the day that he comes, I don't want to shrink back because I've lived in sin. But I want to say the Lord is here and embrace him. And he'll change me to be like him because I'll see him face to face. Let's live for him. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the great truth of your word. If there's somebody here that's never trusted you, I pray that they would trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.